0: Emmons K. Talk YA now presents Morning Star, Part 1, from the Red Rising Trilogy by Pierce Brown.
1: back to MK and Talk YA.
0: This is Marissa Snyder.
1: And I'm Katie Bradford.
0: And welcome to our Young Adult Fiction Podcast.
1: At some point, I think we should practice like a rap in- entrance.
0: Oh, like Hamilton style? Yeah.
1: I thought about trying something, but I had enough difficulty getting my microphone working today that I <laughs> stuck with the classic go-to. Just
0: drained you. Yeah. <laughs> We should switch it one day. Like, I'll say your role and you say my role. But oh, we'll say, we should do that. We'll still say our names, right?
1: <laughs> that's Marissa Snyder. <laughs> and that's Katie This Brett. is not Katie Raffer. <laughs> or we could just go by one of our other names, like um, oh. our young elite names or some other.
0: I thought you were going to bring up our um, roller derby names.
1: Oh, yeah. Those might be inappropriate for the air.
0: Do you think? Mine's not that inappropriate.
1: I actually just forgot what mine was. Yours
0: was Lady Katie Badford.
1: <laughs> oh, oh yeah, mine's not that bad either.
0: What did you think you were?
1: I said I was just thinking it had to be like more scandalous than that, but it wasn't. No. What was yours? We're
0: pretty tame. Uh, mine was Hellcat Kalfi, which was my maiden That's name. A good one. Uh not that we've ever played roller derby ever, we just wanted to have the names. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which is usually how it goes with us.
0: Yeah. We're just always <laughs> outsiders looking in. We will make shirts though. um Okay, so we have
1: another what, like less than three hundred pages of nonstop action. Oh
0: my gosh, it's getting to be really hard to keep up with everything. Yeah. I mean, in a good way, but it's just like they hit you with stuff out of nowhere. This is oh, this is um, we're reading Morning Star. By the way, <laughs> good, good call. <laughs> It's the third book. The third book. In the Red Rising trilogy. Hi, Toby. Toby,
1: please be quiet, okay? Yeah, I'm trying to like even remember where this book started. Okay, so the last one ended and we had like a head in a box (laughs) and Darrow was kidnapped and all the adults were dead.
0: Exactly, yeah. And now it opens with the Jackal has had Darrow for a year, we learned. Another big time gap. And he's been torturing him for like three months then he kept him in solitary confinement for nine months
1: yeah that's also considered torture marissa' <laughs> <laughs> <It's
0: true. laughs> got a lot of me time, <laughs> a lot of alone time.
1: <laughs> so I actually I, I um, was researching solitary confinement and sensory overload uh, as forms of torture I
0: thought you were gonna research that and that's why I didn't
1: Well, I actually, I like learned that they started solitary confinement because they thought it would help people to like separate them from bad influences. And then they like later discovered that it actually has like really bad psychological impacts. But then I went down some rabbit hole and ended up on a website called, oh no, (laughs) six brutal dictators you didn't know had celebrity (laughs) BFF. Celebrity BFF? Yeah, so I don't know what my Googling was doing this time, <laughs> <laughs> but I really didn't learn that much about torture. But I
0: really want to know about celebrity BFFs. We've talked we've about talked. It about wasn't torture. even a
1: good article. I think that's when I was like, okay, this is silly. Who,
0: Whose was Hitler's?
1: Um, like, one says, Steven Seagal eats carrots with a guy who kills off political opponents.
0: He, he ate carrots with him?
1: Yeah, what, so obviously one, they're
0: BFFs. What one does with one's friends? We've never eaten carrots together, Katie, so I don't know if I can call you my friend.
1: <laughs> well, we're not quite that good of friends yet. Oh, we're not okay. BFF, celebrity BFF level, you know.
0: What was the other shocking one you heard, or funny one?
1: I don't know. There, like, Jennifer Lopez serenaded a guy known for torture and forced child labor. Oh, no. It seems like kind of a stretch. So this is when I was like, okay, I need to stop. Like, this is not getting me to where I need to be. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it was, it was kind of a rough research week for me. I did, I did get some other interesting stuff that I'll bring up when it's um, relevant, okay. but that particular chain of clicks, um, wasn't really extremely relevant. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think it's also funny that we never tell each other what we're researching for each week. And I think it's fine. Like I, because usually I, it's like two hours before we're supposed to record and I'm like, oh crap, I have to research something. <laughs> So I think, like, probably eventually one week we'll have researched the same thing. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet, but so far, so good.
1: Yeah, it is kind of funny. I think there's been times where we've, like, started in the same place, but then, like, taken it in completely different directions. Especially when we're doing, like, History of Fairy Tales, I'm surprised we didn't have more overlap, because we were, like, more focused on what we were looking at in the first place. That's true. Well, who knows, because you don't know what I actually researched, so maybe it's all the same thing. (laughs) Maybe.
0: Maybe. Um well when I when I was thinking of the solitary confinement thing I was trying to think like which would be worse because Darrow Darrow had like sensory deprivation right like it was dark yep. in there in, the, in the but Victra had sensory overload and I concluded that it would be far worse to be Victra than to be Darrow for me at least
1: Well I think that I would agree with you except that to be alone with my own thoughts I would go crazy. It's true.
0: But to like never shut off the noise.
1: Like I think I'd be more annoyed, unhappy, unpleasant, etc. And probably also go crazy in the other situation. But like I know how being alone with my own thoughts and nothing else would like there's no doubt in my mind that I would end up all kinds of messed up.
0: Yeah, I'm surprised they weren't actually psychologically more impaired because nine months like that I didn't I don't know anything about Solitary confinement, but I feel like that would be enough to go crazy.
1: I think they say 15 days or something is enough to make you, like... Hallucinate. Yeah. It says solitary confinement beyond 15 days leads directly to severe and irreversible psychological harm. Oh, my gosh.
0: That's not as... That's such a short... A shorter time period than I was thinking. Like, that's two weeks, essentially.
1: And, I mean, this version of solitary confinement still... it, It wasn't quite as extreme as his... So they still said, I mean, a lot of solitary confinement, it's considered, like, if you're alone for 22 hours a day outside of guards. So they might Mm -hmm. still have some interaction. I mean, like, the guards aren't supposed to, like, really interact with them. But they might even walk outside Mm -hmm. for an hour or, you know, I mean, so, like, just think about how much more extreme it was for Dara than that. And how much longer. So awful.
0: But then as soon as he's released, he, like, jumps right back into action.
1: (laughs) I do think that it took him, like a minute, but it should have taken him, like, Years. decades. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I totally agree. And it does help that he gets recarved. Yeah. To, like, you know, I'm sure they do work on his brain and undo some of the damage. But And when
1: you think about all the other stuff he's already been through, like, yes, this is way worse, but it wasn't, like, it's such a unique situation, and, you know, and he had, like, all those, the way he learned in the first place, like what didn't he say he was re- reciting like the Odyssey or something mm-hmm. in multiple language to himself? Like that he can even do that and like remember That's that impressive. and have that is kind of at least something to fall back on. Sorry, Toby is climbing on my notebook.
0: Oh, and how terrible that that Harmony is the one who told Jackal who he was.
1: Yeah, I am kind of curious to hear more about her at some point. Like I hope that she kind of comes back in and maybe has a moment. Where she also is like, whoops, I screwed up. But what was she thinking? Like, I get that she was annoyed, but I don't under—I don't really get what she was hoping to accomplish. I
0: think her main problem was... So she, like, turned her back on Aries when she found out that Aries was Fitchner. Because she was, like, incensed that he was a gold. And... Yeah.
1: So did she just think that Dara was also, like, won over by the golds and didn't identify as a red anymore or something? I think so. And I think...
0: At, at that point, she probably felt so betrayed that she didn't want anything to do with him or anything that he created and decided to take everything into her own hands, which is why now she's the leader of the Red Legion –
1: Yeah, it just goes back to this whole thing, and Severo suffered from it, too, of all those people who are upset but don't really have a plan.
0: I know, and and all those people who thought that Daryl was dead for nine months.
1: Yeah, okay, so that's what I actually researched. I researched, um, like, premature obituaries. Oh, no. And people who fake their (laughs) deaths. Oh, I want to hear all about this. Okay, well, um... Sorry, my computer is being a little bit slow, and I don't want to give you false information. Actually, I don't really care if I give you false
0: information. <laughs> I'll believe it one way or another.
1: <laughs> um, okay, well, a couple that, there's, like, a whole huge list of them all over the place. So, like, you know, there's a ton of people who have had premature obituaries for a variety of reasons. Some of them intentionally fake their deaths, and it's, like, fraudulent. Some of them are, like, celebrities and something was accidentally published or there was like a clerical error or they had like a near death experience and people got the facts wrong. So there's all different kinds of reasons why people might be considered dead before they are. (laughs) But I thought it was kind of funny. Mark Twain was reported dead twice.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: So I don't know if you've heard the quote But um, one of his, like, famous quotes is saying something along the lines of, like, the report of my death was an exaggeration or the reports of my death were greatly exaggerated. That's like a Mark Twain quote. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know it was because there was actually a report of his death. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Who got their wires crossed there? So in 1897, a journalist was sent to inquire about his health for some reason. They thought he was near death. But it was actually his cousin. So that was the first time. That was in 1897. And then in 1907, people like lost track of he was traveling by yacht and they lost him. So that's another thing. Sometimes people like disappear and don't realize it or whatever and are actually fine. So the New York Times published an article saying he was lost at sea, but he was just like caught in a fog. Oh, whoops. And he got off the boat. And then he read the story (laughs) and was like, um, nope. So he wrote a funny story in the New York Times the next day. And then he actually died three years later.
0: Oh, my gosh. I mean, yeah, it's not like you could, like, you know, update your Facebook status to mark yourself as alive or, you know.
1: Yeah, well, that's funny. I was actually reading, like, Miley Cyrus has also been reported dead multiple times, like, on social Uh, media or something. And uh, Steve Jobs, in 2008, Bloomberg accidentally published his obituary, which was 17 pages long. Oh, my God. And so he kind of joked about that later and died in three years later, also in 2011.
0: I actually just saw a fake news story today that Hugh Hefner died. Now that you brought it up. Oh, really? Yeah, I just saw it on my Facebook feed, and it was like, legendary Hugh Hefner died at 91, and then underneath it was like, this is fake, this has been going around, and it's not true.
1: That's so funny. I can't imagine like, waking up and reading that you were dead as oh like, a celebrity. I can imagine. I know. But then there were some people who intentionally tried to you know, like commit fraud or something. So a couple of my favorite stories are probably this guy. His name was John Darwin and he disappeared while canoeing and was like faking that he drowned in March of 2002. And so they looked for him and the weather hadn't been bad and they only found his paddle and all this stuff, but they eventually ended up declaring him dead. But then five years later in December of 2007, he walked into a police station and said, I think I'm a missing person. Wow. And he claimed to like have amnesia and didn't remember anything from the past five years and all of this stuff. And his wife had claimed his life insurance already.
0: Ooh, and that's a red flag right there. It turned
1: out that he had actually like, they had been in cahoots and he had been living in secret with her for like multiple years. So I thought that one was kind of funny. And then there were, there's just like a lot of people doing kind of weird stuff someone who faked their death because they thought nobody liked them and they wanted to see what people said at their obituary, no. I mean at their funeral oh my and gosh.
0: then that's like extreme narcissism. Yeah, and
1: someone who had supposedly been murdered and then showed up to testify at the trial saying like that guy didn't do it because I'm still alive. <laughs> so there's like been a lot of just kind of funny stuff about that, but it was kind of an interesting rabbit hole that eventually led to dictators who have celebrity BFFs.
0: That reminds me of um did you ever see the documentary The Imposter?
1: I did not see that.
0: I would recommend It's really good. It's about this um, boy who goes missing. And then 12 years later, a guy turns up in Spain claiming to be him. And it's all about, like, the police trying to reintroduce him to his family. But he's, like, very different. And they're not sure if it's him or not. But then they really want to believe that it's him. And... There's like, there's a twist at the end that is so shocking. I was watching it by myself and like my jaw comedically dropped open because I was so shocked by the end. But it's really good. What was it called again? The Imposter. Ooh, I'll have to check that out. Also, speaking of movies, did you see that the young adult book that you said was your favorite one as a child is now being made into a movie?
1: I did. I saw the trailer, and I have mixed feelings. I'm, like, really excited and really nervous that it's not going to live up to what I want it to be.
0: <laughs> I know. Well, I haven't read A Wrinkle in Time in so long. I know. I'm kind
1: of thinking that might be a good thing. Like, if I don't reread it, maybe I'll just, like, think the way they tell the story is the way it is, and I won't be directly comparing. Yeah, but... I don't know. I mean, it has a lot of good actors in it. That's true. I do like the, I do like some of the cast choices. And, I mean, I'm, ex- I'm excited, too, because I feel like it'll get people talking about a really good book, which is always a good yeah, thing. Yeah, and you
0: know, it's, it's funny how, like, how far we've come, too, because I was reading a little bit about the book, and they said that, you know, it was published in 1963, and they, she had a really hard time publishing it, and she said part of the reason was because um, she thought there was a female protagonist, and back then there was kind of like this unspoken rule that for a science fiction book, the protagonist should be male. Mm-hmm. And so it was like one of the very first sci-fi books that featured a girl as the main character, and I kind of I kind of think that's interesting.
1: No wonder I liked it.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, back to our book. I think it's interesting how Severo has reacted to the death of his dad, because he was like, I mean, he was my favorite character for so long, and now in this book, I felt like I didn't even recognize him, because he was so changed.
1: Yeah, but I felt like the changes also made so much sense, because he... F- Yeah, You know, he so much of his identity was kind of based on his relationship with Darrow and some of this other stuff that was kind of taken away from him. And he felt so much pressure to be someone that he really wasn't.
0: Yeah, I think that's it. Like, he's really cracking under the pressure of filling his dad's shoes almost. And it's almost like he's trying too hard to win this war or, like, wage this battle. And he's not taking a step back to see if his ideas are actually the best ones. Yeah. But yeah, and it's like I think you have someone like Darrow who definitely wants to fight for what's best, but he also he takes time to make sure his decisions are the right ones, and he shows people mercy and he he doesn't just go around killing everyone and it seems like several views that as a weakness,
1: yeah, although I think I, I thought like their fight slash conversation in the hallway or whatever that they had was such a good scene for both of them because I also felt like it was a bunch of growth for Darrow to actually like talk through something. I mean fight slash talk yeah. but because I feel like a lot of his issues like I kind of feel like now him and Severo are good again. Yeah. Whereas I feel like a lot of his relationships he hasn't figured out how to kind of like come over that hurdle when he creates that distance between him and someone else.
0: Yeah and repair it.
1: Yeah. And His point about, Severo said something like, when you look down at the reds and the stalactite or whatever, you had love in your eyes. He said something along those lines. And I've, like, never felt that. I, like, resent them. Hate them. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, like, they're coming from such different places, too. Like, it's personal for Darrow, and it's not for Severo.
0: But now it is because his dad's dead.
1: I mean, it's pr- like the new society isn't, though. Oh, like, I yeah. mean, he I think he still cares about the fight and the cause and all this stuff. But it's not like the same level of, you know, what does it mean to be a slave and come out of that? Yeah. Like, as much as he's been That's underestimated true. and treated differently, he has not been a slave. And he hasn't, you know, I mean, his dad's death Yo, was bad, sure, right. but like, yeah.
0: And I also love that he took Darrow's eyes.
1: Yeah. I hope you don't so mind, crazy. man. Do you want them back?
0: <laughs> cuz I noticed when they were talking they were like Severo did something with his red eyes and I was like Severo has gold eyes. <laughs> like I got real mad cuz I thought like the author wasn't being consistent. And then he was like, "Oh, just kidding. I stole your eye."
1: I'm also glad it was Severo who never gave up on Darrow and eventually found him. Like, I feel like yeah. that would have felt really out of character if he had also been one to be like, like, if you, I don't think he wanted to stay in his position. I think he just wanted to recognize Darrow again, because I think Darrow did come back a little bit different.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think, wasn't he, Severo angry too when he let Victra join immediately? But it just shows that he came back knowing that people can be more than what they're born to be. Yep. And, like, he's always kind of believed that, but it seems like that is, like, his code that he's living by now. Yep. <laughs> I really liked <laughs> the scene where the, he gets initiated as one of Severo's
1: howlers. Oh, yeah, that was funny.
0: <laughs> but I was like, this is the absolute worst initiation
1: oh, I've we ever We should have looked up bad initiations. That would have been a good research. Oh, God. Did you
0: ever have to have a bad initiation?
1: No. I did join a sorority, but it wasn't anything, like, crazy.
0: I didn't either. I was never in a sorority or anything like that. I guess um, at my old job, my first job out of college, they made all of the new employees uh, sing karaoke at the holiday party. And that was kind of like an initiation into the company, like you had to get up and sing karaoke. But that's it.
1: I mean, that would terrify me, but (laughs) but it's not quite the same level.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think actually some people are quite nervous about it, but... I mean, everyone's really nice about it.
1: Well, okay, so I was initiated into my sorority, and like, it's a secret ritual or whatever.
0: So it wasn't any, oh.
1: but like, just not knowing what to expect was still kind of nerve wracking. You know what I mean? Oh my like gosh, going into yeah. it and that that'd
0: be even like, worse. I
1: trusted the girls. So I, like, didn't think anything bad was going to happen. But even things like – like, singing karaoke might not be a big deal to some people, but, like, getting on stage and singing would have, like, terrified me. Or, you know, yeah. like, certain things like that where it's, like, it might not be a big deal, but if they, like, asked me to say something out loud that I – you know, just, like, the nerves of, like, messing up and or I don't know.
0: Or, like, eating snakes and cockroaches out of a pipe. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't even funny. know what I would do in that situation. I feel like
0: – Or, like <laughs> – I like how, like, Darrow and Victra are such tough people, but when they had to do that, they were just all throwing up all over each other and, like, couldn't yeah. get through it. It was so terrible, but it was actually, it was kind of funny, too, to see them, like, being able to do such strong things and then completely struggle with this and just be completely revolted by it. Like, anyone would be. Yeah.
1: And wait, who walked in at the end and was like, what is going on? Like, we need you guys to, like... <laughs> There's a war going on? I don't know. Was it Dancer or someone? <laughs> Uh I also, I, okay, I'm like devastated about Ragnar.
0: Oh my gosh, I know.
1: I was like, he can't die, he can't die. I, no, but I was just thinking about him and the initiate, like, I love that he was a howler, because in my mind before that, the howlers were all kind of like little compared to the tall golds oh, yeah. and like, you know, hiding under these wolf cloaks and stuff. And then there's, and Ragnar in my mind is just like so giant that, It just, like, seemed fun. Like, I'm just, like, picturing them, like, all up to his, like, waist and him, like, just (laughs) towering above them. (laughs) Howling. Oh,
0: man. Okay. We can skip to to the end.
1: We can wait. We can wait. What did you think about, um, what's his name? Quicksilver being a Sons of Aries.
0: Oh, well, you know... (laughs) I, think it's just, I didn't even know there was a Quicksilver until like 50 pages before they reveal he was a son of Ares so I didn't feel like this huge revelation like oh my god he's a son of Ares because I didn't know who he was.
1: They mentioned him a few times in the other books but never like we never met him he was just like the one thing I remember thinking earlier was just like he did seem it was just interesting because he wasn't a gold but he had all this power and all this influence like they kind of mentioned him in passing a couple of times I just kind of vaguely remember so
0: yeah
1: but I agree with you he was kind of like the Lorne of this the first mm-hmm. part of this book where I was like oh yeah he's super important where did he come from I
0: to care about him yeah I do like his reasoning for wanting to start the revolution is because he says you know I'm a capitalist and I want humankind to evolve and he wants there to be yep. kind of a free market of ideas and change, and innovation, yeah. and invention, and he knows that the way society is, that can never happen. Yeah. It wasn't
1: like a moral thing or like a something personally happened to me, but it was still a really compelling reason. And it makes sense when you think of him as like, you know, the smart economic focus guy. And it guy. also
0: completely reflects how the obsidians live, because they were banished to Antarctica and just the struggle... For them to survive day to day, completely hampers any any time they might have had to invest in moving their society forward. Like you can't be creative and you can't yeah. come up with brilliant ideas or societal progress if you're struggling to survive.
1: It's like uh, the hierarchy of needs or whatever. If you can't mm-hmm. meet your basic needs, you can't possibly pursue this other stuff. And they talked about that a little bit when they were there too like how the obsidians used to build ships yeah. and try to explore or whatever but they kept getting destroyed and eventually they stopped building ships mm-hmm. or you know 60% i think of was their survival rate in child child right. or their death rate in childhood was yeah
0: and you know. i mean that's the best way to halt progress
1: and it is kind of exciting it's good that they have an ally with resources and I thought it was also kind of cool. He kept talking about you don't tie two ships together in a storm. Yeah. And that there is kind of this whole other arm to the Sons of Aries that we haven't explored yet.
0: Yes. And do you think – I guess we'll see more of – like, I'm, I think we're just going to keep meeting more people who are the Sons of Aries.
1: Yeah, or more people who are going to join the Rising for other yeah. reasons, like, because it's a compelling message. I mean, even just look at the reaction on the – Moon thing, whatever that was called, I <laughs> Quicksilver's territory. Oh yeah. When Darrow, like you know, told them we're tied, like let's rise up, and they broadcast that everywhere. Yes. Like they're like,
0: and especially since I like that in his second carving, he had um, a, the carver remove his sigils, so he's like the first man oh, yeah. ever with no sigils marking him. So he's just like, I'm not red, I'm not gold, I'm I'm just human. And I really like yep. that he did that.
1: But I, that's also gotta like. Uh, you know, if everyone thought he died, now he's, like, back from the dead or whatever. It's got to, like, contribute to that. Like, he's, you know, godlike. Or not godlike, but a whole, like, even more to his yeah, legend. it's almost
0: <laughs> like a new breed of human that's...
1: I actually loved that when they took the obsidian castle thing. I forget what it was called. It was the, the proctor from... Alice. Oh, from Mercury. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, from Mercury, yeah.
0: When it was kind of funny that, like, that position used to be really... Um kind of an elite position and now it's just like a form of banishment where they just go and like pretend to be Norse gods.
1: (laughs) Right so I actually the other thing I researched was um real people who have been mistaken for gods. Wait that's a thing. (laughs) So well I was just kind of curious because I mean you've heard stories about you know when European explorers came to the Americas for the first time and they would be like oh they're like these white men who whatever and they like matched Stories of uh, God. Okay. So I was kind of looking at if there have been times where people have like taken advantage of that. Oh, I'm sure there have. <laughs> there have. There's been a few. A few of my. Um, I, there's a lot of times actually. Okay. But uh, tell here me. Here are some of my favorite stories. So in the ninth century, there was this guy. His name was Sugawara no. Mishizane, And he was like a Chinese literature scholar. And he was considered really, really important in the Japanese government. Hmm. So um, basically, he like was doing his thing, rising up in the ranks, things were going well. And then in the year 901, there was a court scandal. And he was accused of plotting against the throne, falsely, but he was um, like, kind of caught up in this thing and brought into it and as punishment he was exiled to a remote province (laughs) and while he was there he died so he was still you know kind of disgraced and and whatnot um but then after he died all these horrific things started happening um to the Kyoto court and as they grew more and more lethal everyone started to think that he had come back from his grave and was like getting you know Revenge. revenge on people so fearing for that, um, the court issued a pardon and reinstated his descendants to like this spot of honor. Wow. And um, they deified him as Tinjin, who's the patron saint of literature. And I guess the accident stopped after this happened, and he is in the Japanese uh, pantheon or whatever now, so that was kind of cool. He's been
0: mollified. Yes. <laughs> it's too bad he was dead and couldn't enjoy it, though.
1: I know. Well, that's kind of a lot of these stories. Oh, it's interesting how many of these stories are about people who didn't know that they were gods. That's Like, a shame. they became gods kind of afterwards. Um, my other favorite one was there was this British explorer named Captain James Cooks. And in 1778 he took his ships over to Hawaii and they looked like I guess they were described as like trees moving about on the sea. <laughs> so when he when he came to shore, when he came to the islands on January 16th, 1779, thousands of Hawaiians came out in canoes and gave him like a ton of different gifts and stuff because they thought based on the shape of his sails that he was the Hawaiian god Lono. Oh. And Lono is the sex god and according to legend he cruises around on a rainbow and does some other stuff. <laughs> he does
0: some sex stuff on a rainbow. But he
1: also when he showed up on these boats that kinda looked like Lono, it was the it was the annual festival called Lono Mania. So, you know.
0: They don't, actually.
1: (laughs) Well, (laughs) it was, like, even more, they thought he was the god because it was, like, on his festival.
0: Okay. So,
1: um, the captain really enjoyed these perks, and he went along with the charade, and they, like, smeared him in pig fat, and they, (laughs) um, or he smeared himself with pig fat, and then he shot off fireworks, and all this stuff. So everyone was, like, really enjoying it, and then Captain Cook decided to come back for a second visit, um... (laughs) But during while they were gone, or right before they came back, or something, they the ships were hit by a wild storm. Oh, no! And the natives were so offended that the ships came back in poor condition that they uh met him with clubs and daggers. And Cook tried to explain, like, that it was the weather and all this stuff, but um, he was clubbed, repeatedly oh no. knived half drowned, and battered about the head with a rock. Oh, my God. And so at some point, obviously, they realized he wasn't a god or something. And they eventually, like, sacrificed him and possibly ate him, I think. so. That's how
0: Captain James Cook died? Are you serious? I never knew that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's how he died. And then there's also some other funny stories, like, during, um, when was it? I think it was World War II in the Pacific. This guy was or a bunch of troops were leading things on the islands, like dropping equipment and cargo and all this stuff. And they were, you know, they looked different than the people on the Pacific islands. And I guess there's been this long running cult that followed a guy introducing himself as I'm John from America. So it's called like the John from court or cult. And so he just like was some guy who brought some things to the locals and said, hi, I'm John from America. And, um, now. Now that's a thing. And that's
0: the cult now?
1: Yeah. Or at least it was for a long time. I don't know for sure that it's still going on.
0: Oh my goodness. So they thought he was a god, essentially. Yep. Wow. That's shocking. Well, yep. I actually, you were talking to a little bit about cannibalism before. <laughs> and that's what I researched, because <laughs> there's the, well, okay. <laughs> uh, that's not all I researched, but that's part of what I researched. So... In the book, the Obsidians have this section of Obsidians who are um, shunned, essentially, and they are cannibals, right? Yes. So. Um, and
1: terrifying. Oh
0: my gosh! <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm very curious about how this this like separate faction of Obsidian cannibalism people came to be. I hope we learn more about that. But of course, I was like, well why not research cannibalism. <laughs>
1: this seems like a good excuse.
0: You know. And actually so I was most I was most interested in why certain cultures practice cannibalism. And I just found two stories that I thought, you know, were kind of interesting. So, um, in New Guinea there is a tribe of four thousand people, that's it. And they're called the Korowai. And uh, you know, unfortunately, they don't have, uh they're very, very secluded, and they don't have a great understanding of why certain diseases happen. So they're exposed to, you know, tuberculosis and malaria, and a lot of them succumb to that for, at a very early age. And since they don't have a way of understanding how these diseases work, they, um...
1: You have to tie a chicken to your <laughs> groin, don't they know these Shave a things? chicken,
0: <laughs> strap it to your groin, um... <laughs> Their way of kind of dealing with it was they believe that a demon, which is called the Kakawa, is a male witch and this demon uh, disguises itself as someone close to you. And when you're asleep, this demon begins to make you really sick. And they believe it, it devours you from within. And really, I mean, it was just people dying of malaria and other illnesses, but they believed that it was um, this cacao, and they said that it, if the victim is close to death and whispers the name of another tribesman, that is that victim naming the um, kakawa who devoured him. So, oh my goodness, I know, and it's kind of sad because it's just like if someone's dying and they tell you a random name of you know one of their neighbors, they believe that that person is no longer that person, but they're but that they're a demon. And so then, um, I guess revenge is a very strong, it's, it's. But you
1: could make that up even, like, if you were dying and I was by your deathbed, I, I could just be like, hey, she said. It's her. Yeah. I know.
0: So, yeah, I don't really know how that plays into it, but, um, they, they feel a, that they have to avenge the victim, so they end up, they kill this person who they believe is a demon, and they cannibalize him as a form of justice okay,
1: because the demon supposedly ate the person who died
0: It's a form of revenge, but I, I get, like the important distinction is that they do not believe they are eating a people yeah they believe they are eating a demon, so they don't they are very against the idea of eating fellow humans, but to them, once this person has been named, they are no longer a person but a demon. So I thought that was interesting. And then this other tribe, there's uh, the, the foray tribe, also in New Guinea. And they just believe that once you bury a body, they know that if you bury a body in, in the earth, worms and insects will eat it. And so they believe that it would be better for that body to be devoured by someone who loved them rather than to be, you know, like desecrated by insects. So to them, it's an act of love and an act of grieving. Okay. But bad things happen to you if you eat other people. (laughs) Like there's some serious consequences. So there's this disease called the Kuru. And it's a disease that's often found among people who practice cannibalism. And some of the symptoms, it's basically like a neurodegenerative disease. So it causes, um, eventually, I mean, it causes trouble walking and it, eventually results in like a total loss of muscle control but it also causes behavioral changes so it's it was known as the laughing illness was known as the what people would just have the laughing illness um so the name kuru actually means shivering or uh trembling but it was also called like the laughing death because it can cause these like really swift sudden behavioral changes and it sounds pretty horrific. Usually, it's caused by um, these proteins called prions that multiply in your brain, and you contract it by eating the brain of an infected person. So, the lesson
1: here is don't. Wait, people- but you'll only get it if the person you ate also happened to have it, and yeah. you eat their brain?
0: Mm-hmm. So, I think we're probably safe.
1: Well, I hope so.
0: <laughs> Unless you send me a head in, the, in a box for my birthday, <laughs> and you eat the brain. <laughs> So I don't know.
1: I don't know why this just reminded me of what you were saying. But when I was looking at people mistaken for gods or whatever, I also read this thing about how um, the dwarf elephant, which was like a prehistoric thing to the current elephant, they found a like the skull for it way later in Europe somewhere where they don't even have elephants, so they didn't recognize the skull, and that's where they think the. Idea of a cyclops came from because if you look at the skull, it looks like it has it like where the trunk would have been. It's like a big hole, and you can't really see the eyes because they were really small.
0: That's so Um, cool. So it
1: sort of looks like a head with one giant central eyeball. Oh, I love that. I don't know why that made me. I was thinking about heads, and yeah, I don't know. Thinking it was a demon, and really, it was. I don't know. It was connected. It was
0: connected. I got it. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Um. The other thing that I researched was I really liked the part where they crash land in Antarctica uh-huh. and they crash into the icy water. And also, I remember they mentioned the thing about like what happens when you're sucked in space that you were talking oh, yeah.
1: about. I thought that was cool, that too. That was so
0: cool. They were like, your lungs will explode. And I could have just read ahead and was. I wouldn't have had to do any
1: research. They
0: <laughs> did, <it> <laughs> did it all for you. So I thought that was interesting. And so I wanted to know – What happens if you fall through ice, like when the ship crashes, and what happens when you fall into freezing water? Mm -hmm. And so here's a little survival guide. Okay. For people who live in places like Chicago that are really stupid cold, um, (laughs) I got this from the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources, so you know it's true. It does
1: get cold in Minnesota, so they probably know what's
0: up. Yeah, I'm actually... Yeah, people probably fall through that ice all the time. So... If you are falling through ice into icy water, the first thing you should do is you should mentally brace yourself because, (laughs) which sounds like, okay, yeah, sure, I have time to do that as I'm falling face first into icy water. But they said that um, the shock of falling into freezing water, your body will have a cold shock response and it's called the torso reflex. And what happens is you will immediately want to gasp for air. So you'll do this huge gasp and then you'll hyperventilate. And you can hyperventilate as much as 600 to 1,000% faster than your normal breathing. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah.
0: So they said like your first, the first minute that you're in there is really, you need to get your breathing under control and like concentrate on not freaking out. And then they said that you actually should not remove heavy clothing because it can trap air and it can actually keep you warm.
1: Oh, that's so good to say, know. I d- yeah. What about, like, shoes? Same well, they thing?
0: Well, <laughs> they said remove skis and backpacks. <laughs> okay. So take off, like, you know, anything that is really dragging you down, but don't take off your heavy, heavy clothing
1: because it can keep you warm. Okay.
0: Um, and interestingly enough, your, your greatest threat is not hypothermia, but uh, drowning.
1: I believe that. Because it's probably hard to swim if you're frozen.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, so they they go by the 1101 one rule. So the first minute is the cold shock where you need to concentrate on getting your breathing back under control. And then 10 is um you have about 10 minutes before you will lose all control of your muscles essentially. Cuz you'll have um you'll get you'll go into swim failure, which is like when your muscles become so cold that they can't function anymore. And so within this 10 minutes, this is when you really have to focus on getting yourself out of the water because, you know, once this swim failure occur- occurs, you, yeah. you'll, you'll drown. So they said that um, if you can't get out in 10 minutes, you should try and somehow keep your head above water so you don't drown. And so they say um, you could try and freeze your clothes or your arms to the ice if you can get to an edge so you'll at least be frozen there and you won't, you know, go underwater.
1: And then how long can you stay like that?
0: So then it's so it's 1101. 1. The last one is you have about an hour until you will lose consciousness due to hypothermia. I thought you were going to
1: say a minute. I was like, "What's going oh to freezing your arms if no, it's no, only no, one no. more minute?" <laughs>
0: they say if you can get to an edge you should pull yourself up to the edge but you shouldn't try and pull yourself up like out of a swimming pool you should reach forward and drag yourself out while kicking your legs and you should pull yourself out horizontally kind of like a seal getting out of water onto ice so you
1: don't break the ice more or why
0: exactly because they were like people's first instinct is to stand up but the issue is you'll fall right back in. Not and, much and, surface
1: area and lots of weight. Yeah,
0: and you won't have the strength to get back up. So the best bet is to, like, pull yourself on, on your belly and then roll. And then as the ice starts getting firmer, you can start slithering on your stomach. Basically, like, spread your weight out as much as you can.
1: Oh, my goodness. I know. It's so, I don't it's think like, I'm going to remember all that. Oh less, <laughs> I'll just have to stay in the warmth.
0: That's what I said because I was like – I remember I went um, deep sea kayaking one time. And it was like the kayak that like closes around your waist, and mm-hmm. I was just like, uh, "If this thing tips over, like, how do I write my? How do I get back up? Like, how do I get out from underneath this kayak if I'm underwater?" And they were like, "Well, you know, you just—it's really easy. You just have to like reach forward, pull up, push yourself out, twist through the water, breathe through your nose, and come up." And I was like, "Well, I'm just gonna drown." So.
1: Thanks for that. I guess, that's, I guess that's why you like practice those things a lot if you're going to be in that situation so that if you're in it, you don't have to think about it and it's just like reflex.
0: I guess. Yeah. No, but I I don't want to have to practice that. Ever. I know, but
1: it's but it's also like, what about if it's just like the first time you see ice and you fall through and you read a book once, but like, what good is that going to do you? So I, so I spent um, three weeks in the Alaskan Outback mm. and one of the first <laughs> things we did was practice it's called self-arresting, and when you're, like, sliding down a snowy hill, you, like, put your arms together to try and, like, catch snow and create uh, a shelf, yeah. and then you kick your feet kind of to create a shelf. So we practice that a lot, but never with our packs on. And my pack was, like, more than half of my body weight and, like, just really, really heavy. So I start – I lost my footing because I'm the most clumsy oh, no. person ever. And I'm, like, sliding down towards this, like, cliff, and all oh, my no. friends are yelling, like, Self arrest. Like, I can't even turn over because my back is so oh my god. But I did eventually self-arrest and it was you know, I lived. I'm alive. <laughs> but
0: <laughs> Thank
1: God But I don't think it. I would have I don't think if people have been yelling at me, I don't think I would have been able to you like they reminded me to do it, yeah. but also, like, having done it, like, even that it wasn't with my back on, it was a lot harder with my back on. That's but. the
0: thing. It's just, like, having the wherewithal to do this. I mean, good luck.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, maybe if you gave me a test on how to survive, I could, like, come up with a lot of good answers to write down. But, like, if I was in a certain situation, the odds that I'd remember and get it right –
0: it's slim. It would be slim for me, I think.
1: It would be more luck than anything. I'd accidentally get my arms frozen to the I, side.
0: Well, you know, it reminded me of, like, Jack in Titanic when his arms are, like, stuck to the door. And I was like, well, that's the only reason he didn't drown. Like, he just died from cold exposure. Although he could have fit on that door, totally. Ugh. Okay. Um, okay, so... We should keep talking about the book. I really liked the Obsidians a ton, and I really liked the uh, the Valkyries.
1: Yeah, I, do, I did too, except I am still so heartbroken about Ragnar anyways, and I'm just kind of worried because I don't know – well, they said it at the end of the chapter too, like what did they unleash or like what kind of allies are these really going to be? Yeah. Because I think they deserve freedom, and I think that there are some definitely good – people there and some alignment and whatnot but it just seems really risky having no real relationship to
0: yeah without, Ragn- rely on. Oh, what, without Ragnar yeah
1: yeah like it was already kind of risky with Ragnar but they knew him and trusted him and he really believed in what they were doing yeah. and trusted Darrow and just having him say trust this guy basically before he died
0: well, I think it helps that Sefi Ragnar's sister is... um, Who he hasn't
1: seen in 25 years. And Mm -hmm. I just... I I don't think she's a bad person, but I just... I feel like we don't really know all of her motivations or her background. Like...
0: Yeah, we don't know her. There's... Yeah. But I think that... I like... I mean, I think that the, the revelation to her that the Obsidians have been giving up their children as slaves to gods who are not gods was enough to make her want to fight for Darrow and believe in him. So I think that's hopeful. Yeah. And I really... I really like the prophecy, too, <clears throat> that they had where a stained sun would return and bring a man to lead the obsidians to freedom, and that he would be a morning star. I really liked that time. Yeah. and I. But I want to know, like, I want to know more about their world. Like, where did this prophecy come from? How did they survive for so long in such terrible conditions? I want to know more about, like, the Valkyries.
1: I also... Okay, this might be silly, but if the obsidians who... Uh, the the stained they are essentially fighting gold and other stained and whatnot for their leader aren't they
0: oh yes yes like
1: when Ragnar was working for the ash lord or whatever his name is
0: Oh, yeah. Well, they're, like, trained soldiers, essentially. They're slaves.
1: Yeah. They're Okay, so they're trained slave soldiers, but did they not, like, wouldn't they have realized that they're killing...
0: Oh, mortals? Yeah. It, uh, that was my question, too. I think, like, at that point, it's almost too late, because it's, like, who cares if they, they know that we're not mortal because they were already sold into slavery? And also, maybe just having it ingrained into them that they... Were sent there to serve the godchild. Well, yeah. Yeah.
1: And I guess, you know, when Ragnar first met Darrow.
0: Yeah, he calls him God. He also,
1: you know, he calls him Godchild. He was afraid to touch the razor because, like, so they didn't have access to the same weapons and technology and all that. So that still would seem godlike or, or but he's divine. He's seen them die.
0: That's a good point.
1: It was just, I felt like there was, like, a one piece missing, or, like, one, but maybe, it, maybe it'll make more sense as we get to know these people more also.
0: Beca- yeah, because all it took was for Sephi to see some of the golds die, for her to be like, oh, you're right, they're not gods. So why wouldn't yeah. this Stains, I guess, you know, even if the Stains did realize that they weren't gods, I mean, they're not in a position to join forces together. and
1: And they were always in their full armor and all this other stuff, so... That kind of makes sense on the island, but this brings me back to another point, which I want to bring up because I'm constantly wondering where the hell is Cassius, Cassius
0: again? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I thought that too. I was—I like actually wrote at the end of my notes, Cassius is missing again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, is he in prison? Is he dead yet? No, like, he
0: had his throat slit, but <laughs> or his throat cut by.
1: But he didn't die from that. They said it missed his jugular. No, he had an arrow sticking out of his throat or something, right? Yeah. From, uh,
0: <laughs> they don't address it at all. It's just like, and now on to part three. Cassius missing, and again. he got dragged
1: off, and they like, and he was kind of with their group, even though he was also definitely against their group. I'm just like. <laughs> Cassius, yeah, he he you are the luckiest SOB. <laughs> and
0: he's going to get missing again for probably another 100 pages, like he always does.
1: Yeah, all of a sudden he'll like show up at the end and like have some <laughs> yeah. magic thing that Darrow needs, and they'll finally have a real duel that ends in one of their deaths or something.
0: <laughs> and um, Aja is missing, too.
1: Yeah. Aja's yeah.
0: missing. And also, we don't know what happened to Mateo.
1: Yeah, I was thinking that earlier, too.
0: I really liked that he was, like, that whole... Um, revelation that he was has been Quicksilver's husband this entire time.
1: Well, I actually thought that would explain. I thought Quicksilver was going to use that as part of his reason for like not liking the colors, if he like you know fell in love with a different color and whatnot. But I also liked his capitalist reason a lot. So,
0: I, I yeah, I don't know. They just don't really address any of these missing characters, and I
1: and instead they just introduce new characters and then kill them off immediately. 40 pages later. <laughs> Oh my oh, goodness. God. But do you also feel like we have half a book for a ton of stuff to resolve? Yes.
0: Well, yes, but also I mean, this book moves so fast. It's like two pages go by. Well, there's and, gonna like,
1: there's gonna be like 18 twists and turns oh, on the long God, way, but but at the same time I feel like he he needs to ultimately so we've got like uh what's his name? What's his Rollo? name? The rascal. Rollo. No, the ra- the No, um... I'm just going to say our... Mustang's brother. The Jackal? The Jackal. Why did you call (laughs) him? We have the Jackal and the Sovereign and the Red Rising, essentially. We've got, like, three different groups of mixed-up alliances, and we kind of need to defeat both the Jackal and the Sovereign in order to create our new society. (laughs) <laughs> and then somehow actually build a society out of all the mess and In manhan.
0: what, 225 pages? Yeah, cool.
1: <laughs> and there's all this stuff going on, like, on the – what do they call it? The outer rim or whatever, where, like, those other moons mm-hmm. are
0: – Kind of in revolt.
1: So there's just – yeah.
0: I don't know how he's going to fit it all in, but didn't you say he's writing – another trilogy that takes place after this
1: one yeah i think i read that it takes place like 20 years later so maybe that like explains how the society is working but if it's another trilogy then that probably means that the society is not working okay i'm gonna
0: make a (laughs) prediction that cassius goes missing and we don't find out what happens to him until the start of the next trilogy (laughs) oh man
1: well we've already predicted that um Musling and Darrow secretly have three children and have been married for four books, or two and a half books already, oh, yeah. and what are the other crazy things we've already predicted? Um, oh, okay, wait. Speaking of relationships, okay. do you? I kind of am now thinking something with Severo and Victor is going to happen. What do you think?
0: You know what? I've been waiting this entire book for Severo to be like, actually, Darrow, I love you. Like, I thought, I don't know. He's just so loyal to him, and... I kind of.
1: Yeah, except he was. Except I think he really was so in love with Quinn that I don't think, like, that I don't buy, you yeah, know? Yeah, I don't know. If Quinn hadn't existed, then I would maybe be on the same page as you. I,
0: yeah, I was just. I kept expecting it. Like, as I kept reading it, I was like, he's in love with Darrow. Like, he's going to have this revel, or, you know, admit that to him, but I don't know. Victra.
1: I don't know why, just because right? there's like so much animosity between them right now. That's my, that's my new prediction too.
0: Do you think Steffi's going to end up with anyone?
1: I don't, I know so little about her right now. Or Holiday, I like oh, Holiday yeah. right now. I
0: like Holiday too.
1: I'm so, I like for how little Tag, was that was <laughs> in it? I was like, or Trig, I was really sad when he died.
0: I know, but I was also mad because I was like, dude, we just learned about this character and then like 10 pages later you kill him? Like, I wrote him down in my journal because I thought I was going to have to, like, keep notes about him, and then I just had to cross him out. Uh,
1: I guess we should look back and see who's on the um, the list of people that we're supposed to know. Oh, my
0: gosh.
1: <laughs> oh, also, so you know how Thistle is now on the Bone Riders
0: team?
1: Was she the one who was, was mad Thistle. about Ragnar? Thistle? <laughs> was one of the howlers? Uh, okay,
0: I should have guessed that because they all have names like Pebble and Teacup
1: and <laughs> things you like get stuck on your shoe. Yep. <laughs> but um, no, she was she was one of the Bone Riders now. But at one point, Sephro had said something about like we have people deep undercover places, and it made me wonder if she's actually not a Bone Rider. Although then I was thinking, was she the one who kind of freaked out when Ragnar got the razor?
0: Or it was one of them. Or was it Pebble? One of them freaked out because she was like, he's a slave. He's He shouldn't have that. Yeah.
1: So I guess if it was Thistle, I would kind of buy into once she heard the whole story and everything, she switched sides.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I like that we got to see more of the razors, like, how they work. I mean, I always knew that they were, like, whips that turned into blades, but there were definitely better descriptions of how they worked. And we also got to see how a pulse fist works, finally. Like, I always (laughs) wondered what the heck a pulse fist was. (laughs) And grab boots. And now it's, like, pulse armor. we saw that scene where he shoots the Fury with it, and it, like, makes her blood boil. Oof. I was just like, oh, that's what a pulse fist does. Great.
1: It was interesting too the way they like use old school weapons sometimes because they would like shut off all the. Oh, like yeah. it's just, it's, it is kind of interesting to think about how dependent the society is to all their gadgets and stuff. Yeah, some ways. and when they
0: let off that like electromagnetic pulse thing. And then they had, yeah, they had mm-hmm. to use. They said like they had to use pistols and knives. And Daryl was like, "Oh, we."
1: Ha- he couldn't like shoot <laughs> the gun. He like kept missing and he or said something. something.
0: Like, and we reverted to the Middle Ages. And I was like, "That's funny because that's like what we use now. So like we're considered the, yeah. the medieval ages or whatever." Oh my gosh! I have no idea what's gonna happen next. I bet someone else is gonna die.
1: Who do you think? Do you think the Jackal and the Sovereign are going to team up at all again, and we'll have one enemy, or do you think that we're going to face one of them first? I think first? the Jackal
0: is not going to team up with anyone.
1: Or do you think we're going to have to side- team up with the Jackal, but not really trust him in order to get to the Sovereign? You
0: can't trust him. because There's no way. I know we
1: can't trust him, but if we have a mutual enemy who's greater than each other, then we can be untrusting allies temporarily. Ah. Uh. Because we just, we can't have, like, a three, like, nobody wants that. That's bad for everybody. he's such
0: a wild card, though, like.
1: No, we just need to, like, someone just needs to assassinate him.
0: Just take him out. Severo, you go not for it, Severo, dude. he might die.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, ah. Okay. Well, Cassius. Cassius Oh, that's go- perfect. <laughs> just take that arrow out of your throat and go kill <laughs> Jack, please. Stick it in his throat.
0: Uh, I do kind of feel bad, though, because I, I don't know, like, I know we're not supposed to love Cassius, but. I just feel bad because I feel like he could be more than what he is. Like, he could change. Like, you know how Darrow was like...
1: He still could. I think I that know. might be why he hasn't died yet.
0: I, I just... I really hope... I'm hoping for his redemption.
1: Because you even him and Darrow have had these couple of moments, like, when he put the cloak over him when he found out and was, like, so disgusted by the torture. Mm-hmm. And then when he was being dragged away at the end right there and he, like, grabbed Darrow's yeah. hand. So, I mean, I think there is... I wouldn't say friendship or brotherhood left, but there's still some respect or loyalty left. Like, I don't think they'd ever be best friends again, but... Also, where's Roke right now? Oh, yeah, he's fighting out in the... Okay, never mind.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we haven't heard from him for this entire half of this book. Yeah,
1: and he's got to come back at some point, too. Yeah. And again, Cassius, Roke, and Darrow are all three on these three different sides.
0: Yeah, there's like six different sides fighting right now. And
1: if you include, like, Harmony.
0: Oh, gosh, I forgot about her. How is this book going to come together? Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, I guess we should finish reading.
1: Okay. Let's all get to work. Read till the end. Yeah. <laughs> finish the book. Oh, and then you found out that there's a couple of comic books. Oh, my gosh. Right?
0: That's right. I got them. I um. So I discovered them as I was flying to Pittsburgh this weekend, and I was, like, feverishly trying to download them to my Kindle before I would lose... You know, Wi-Fi. Like, the plane was taking off, and I was like, no, I have to buy this graphic novel. (laughs) So there's three that are out right now. They're called Red Rising, The Sons of Aries.
1: Okay. I actually – I just downloaded them, but I have not read them yet. Should I try to read those before our next session, or should we talk about them a different time? I don't
0: think there's enough to talk about. Like, they're super, super short, and the next one is not out until, I think, September. So, I mean, if you want to read them, you can. It's 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 kind of cool because it's about Fitchner. It's about his past, and so it takes it's like a prequel to the series. But I mean, they're real short. Okay. Okay. Um, I have to tell you a joke today. Please do. I, I should have looked up like Valkyrie jokes or. I
1: thought of a because you know how we talked about heads last week. Mm-hmm. I thought of a, a joke that I thought was fitting for last week, so I'll tell it next week.
0: You can tell me this week, too. What? You, t- you tell yours. Okay, I'll tell you my joke first. So this is my, my joke has nothing to do with this book or any of the themes we've discussed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, I left my Adderall in my Ford Fiesta. Now it's a Ford Focus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's awesome. <sighs>
0: tell me your head joke.
1: Okay, well, it's actually not a head joke. It's a hat joke. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> back in, like, middle school or maybe early high school, I had this friend, her name's Olympia, and we were taught- I don't even know how this came up, but I'm pretty sure she, like, made up this joke, but maybe she didn't. Um. <laughs> but, okay, so there's, there's... <laughs>
0: oh, no, it's going to be a muffin joke all over again.
1: <laughs> there's two hats, and they're sitting on a hat shelf, right? <laughs>
0: Hurry up! I have to pee.
1: And the first hat says the second hat. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. He says, "You stay here. I'll go on ahead." (laughs) Get it.
0: If you had told me that without the like the <laughs> insane <laughs> laughter it would have been the
1: stupidest
0: joke ever <laughs> when you tell it like that it's so freaking funny
1: <laughs> and how many times have I told that joke and I still find it so funny I need to <laughs> laugh at my own joke so much okay oh <sighs> that note bye bookworms go
0: get a library card